0: Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 29, and we know that to them that love God, all things work together for good, even to them that are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also foreordained to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he foreordained, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. We believe, because the scriptures teach it, that there is such a thing as the Catholic Church, not the Roman Catholic Church, but a Catholic Church. Catholic simply meaning universal. There is a company of people from across the globe at present today and a company of people from across the generations, from the fall of Adam into sin until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that company of people is the church. Christ's church. And because it is Christ's church, it's Blessings, even its very definition, is bound by, determined by Christ. What this company of people from across the globe and across the generations is, is determined by the one who is the head of the church the bridegroom of that church, even the Lord Jesus. And we see this summarized for us in that question and answer of an Orthodox catechism that we have been considering over a couple of weeks. When we ask the question, what is it that we believe concerning the holy and Catholic Church of Christ, We answer, I believe that the Son of God does from the beginning to the end of the world gather, defend, and preserve for himself by his spirit and word out of the whole of mankind a company chosen to everlasting life and agreeing in true faith, and that I am a lively member of that company and so shall remain forever." In looking at what the scriptures teach here concerning the church, concerning this universal church, we've noted several things. We've noted that it is Christ's church. Again, the Son of God, from the beginning of the world to the end of the world, he gathers, he defends, he preserves this company of people for himself. We've noted that it is Christ's church. It is a company of his people, sinners who deserve not to be a company or gathered into this company, are in fact gathered by Christ, defended by Christ, and preserved by and for Christ. It is Christ's body, Christ's bride. And we've noted in particular, especially the last time we were looking at this particular question and answer, that this church is a company chosen to everlasting life. A people who are chosen to and recipients of all of the blessings of Christ, that is, eternal life. And as we began to think about that, we considered together Or began to consider together Romans chapter eight and verses twenty eight through thirty, where the apostle in addressing the church reminds the church in this chapter of her present reality. He points at the beginning of the chapter to the reality of our justification, or he summarizes for us the reality of our justification in and by Christ. We are no longer condemned. There is now, presently, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We, in fact are those who are blessed by the Spirit applying to us all of the benefits of Christ. The very same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us presently and will, in fact, give life to our mortal bodies. So presently, we are blessed with the reality of salvation in Christ, yet waiting for the consummation. And yet this creates a tension, doesn't it? Because at present, the present reality of the church is very much one of blessing spiritually, but also It is one that is marked by the reality of suffering. Which Paul says, these sufferings, verse 18, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to usward. So he goes on to speak of those future realities that are guaranteed for us in Christ. And yet, Ones for which we yet hope. And in this present circumstance, the Spirit helps our infirmity. Verse 26. The Spirit, the very same Spirit who is sent into our hearts, who is the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, and the spirit who seals us as it were and guarantees our glorification in the likeness of Christ, this same spirit helps us amidst our present sufferings, amidst our present infirmities and weaknesses. And he helps us not only in prayer by making intercession for us, but he gives to us the assurance that those who are called according to God's purpose, those indeed that love God, all things work together for good. And the reason for this is that this company of people who are no longer under the condemnation of sin, indwelt by the Spirit, yet awaiting the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection in the likeness of Christ, this people, this company of people belong to God unchangeably belong to God assuredly because this company of people is marked out by the possession of blessings which are linked together from eternity to eternity here is this golden chain as it's been called of salvation a golden chain, links of which are unbreakable that move us from eternity where God of his grace, of his love foreordained this company of people to be conformed to the image of his son. Beginning there, moving through our calling our justification to that glorification, to that final perfect conformity to Christ. And this is the church. These are the blessings of the church. The universal church in its present reality is marked out by the possession and the prospect of these blessings in and by Jesus Christ. Here is a golden and Catholic chain of salvation. It belongs to this whole company of Christ's people. And so we noted not only something of the church's present reality, but also the church as predestined. The church is predestined. This universal church, which belongs to the Son of God, which is gathered, defended, and preserved by Christ for Christ, this company, Of people is a company of people chosen to everlasting life. Elect in Christ from before the foundation of the world, in love, predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son, foreknown, foreordained. And we noted that this is a numbered people. But it's a named number. It's not just a choosing of a large group with the individuals within that group yet to be determined. But it is a named number. The whole company chosen to everlasting life is a whole company of specific individuals. Specific men, specific women, specific boys, specific girls from across the globe and across generations, and chosen, predestined, not because of anything foreseen in them, but solely on the basis of God's immutable eternal love. Predestination is that free gracious will of God to choose not just a number but a named number of men, women, boys and girls unto everlasting life. But there is more there is more in this Catholic chain. Those who are foreordained to be conformed to the image of God's Son are also called. They are also justified. they are also glorified. And so we want to notice three further things this morning concerning the church. The church in its present reality, first of all. The church is predestined, second of all. But thirdly, the church is called. God's purposes in his son, the purpose that Jesus Christ might be by virtue of his resurrection, the firstborn among many brethren, that purpose does not remain as it were in eternity. It does not remain confined, if we can even speak this way, to the mind and to the will of God. Sometimes our plans do. We make the the best of intentions, right? We set out to complete a project but it never gets out of the mind. It never gets out of a a desire, if you will. It never moves forward. Not so with the church. Not so with God's purpose to glorify his son as the firstborn among many brethren. Not so with God's purpose to glorify his son By conforming his elect people to the image of his son. His plans come to fruition. And whom God foreordained, whom God predestined unto eternal life, he also called to eternal life. What does this calling mean? Certainly, we can think of the fact that the scriptures teach us about a call, the call of the gospel, that goes forth from Christ and his apostles and goes forth in the context of the gathered church at present, the call of the gospel for sinners, for all who hear to believe. There is this outward call. But the call that is in view here is what we often refer to as an effectual call, a powerful call, a call. That changes you. A call that takes you from out of one state, spiritual state and condition, into a different spiritual state or condition. It's a call that in and of itself doesn't make anything look different on the outside. But it's a call that changes everything on the inside and changes your relation to God. It is a calling from out of a state of sin and misery into a state of grace and union with Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us that there's, at the beginning of the chapter, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Those who are united to Jesus Christ. And the question is, how are we united to Christ? Earlier in this letter, he's talked about how we are in Adam. As creatures, but certainly as sinners, we are in Adam. Adam represented us in the garden, and in his sin, we all sinned and are all guilty and are all now in a state of sin. Where our minds are darkened by sin. Our hearts are dead in sin. And we are unable to do anything about it by ourselves. We cannot will ourselves out of that state into another state. So, how do we get from in Adam to in Christ? God calls. God calls. And not like a telephone call, but He calls and brings. to call upon someone in a former day meant not picking up the phone but to go visit them knock on the door and have human contact with them we used to use language that way for god to call is for god to draw for god to call is for god to take this one who is in adam in sin and bring him into Jesus Christ and into a state of grace we see this calling spoken of elsewhere in scripture in just this way Ephesians 2 and verses 1 through 10 is the really classic text in this regard Who were we in Adam? We were dead in trespasses and sins. And as dead in trespasses and sins, we were in a very miserable condition. We walked, we lived according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the powers of the air and the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. We lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. Spiritually dead in sin, living in that corruption, What changes? Who changes us? God. Verse 4 of Ephesians 2. God, being rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He Brought us, called us, out of death into life. Out of sin and misery into grace and union with Jesus Christ. Raised us up with him. Made us to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He called us. He called us. Changing us. Making the mind once darkened in sin. Enlightened. By the light of the gospel. Making. Our desires no longer the desires of. The flesh. But the desires of new life in Christ. We have been called. We are a people. The church is a people that is called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Says Peter. Call. Those who are predestined, those who are foreordained, are called. Outwardly, by the preaching of the gospel, by the word, inwardly, by Christ through the Spirit, who takes us. out of sin and into grace, out of misery and into Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of this call. That it is a calling into union and fellowship with Jesus Christ. To be called into the church universal is really to be called into Christ. And it's because you are in Christ that you belong to this Catholic church. Even at the end of the question and answer of the catechism, we believe in speaking of this holy and Catholic church that I am a lively member of that company and so shall remain forever. I am a lively company of those who are chosen to everlasting life, chosen in Christ, and called into union and communion with the one head of the church, the one Lord of the church, Jesus Christ. The church, in its present reality, is marked... By blessing and promise, even in the midst of sufferings. The church, the Catholic church, is a predestined church, but the church is a called church. There is a hearing of the gospel and a believing of the gospel, which shows and demonstrates that God's purposes do not remain in his mind as it were, but are fulfilled when he draws sinners to Christ, when he calls out of darkness and into the light of Christ. And the question that presents itself, As the gospel is preached, as Christ is proclaimed, as Christ is proclaimed as the crucified and risen Christ, in whom is to be found all of the blessings of salvation and everlasting life, as that Christ is preached, all are called to believe. But are you called into fellowship with Jesus Christ? We say, how do I know? How do I know if I've been called? Well, there are effects of this calling. There are fruits of this calling. Because calling includes the gift of faith. Do you believe be trusting in Jesus Christ unto eternal life? Then you've been called. We see this further as well in the reality of which Paul speaks here, that those who are called, those whom God calls, he also justifies. The church is predestined. The church is called. The church universal is justified. Now Paul has said a lot about this justification up to this point in the letter so that his use of this terminology here is of no surprise. Just as with the language of calling, Paul has used this language of justification before. Paul talks about being called according to God's purpose in verse 28, but really he's talked about justification quite a bit throughout this letter. It's been the central focus of this letter, despite protests to the contrary in our day and age. Even at the beginning of chapter 8, again, he speaks of what we might call the negative side of justification. That there's now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Those who have been called into union with Jesus Christ, into that state of grace and union with Jesus Christ, also in Christ, are no longer condemned. They are, in fact, justified. What does this mean? Well, in short, it means that we have been pardoned of all of our sin, of all of the guilt of our sin, and declared righteous. God, the just judge of all men, is also the one Paul has said who justifies the ungodly. That is, he declares that though a sinner, though guilty, though worthy of condemnation, the sentence for those who are in Christ is pardon is a declaration of righteousness. And he explains to us how that is the case. Not because of any works done by us to satisfy the demands of the law. Not by any works done by us to make ourselves righteous before God. And meet the standard of his holy and perfect and immutable law. No, because of Christ. Because of Christ's death. Because of Christ's obedience unto death. Because of Christ's righteousness. Christ kept the law for us. Christ died for us. And therefore, therefore all who believe in him are justified. That is, declared righteous. The guilt of our sin, though it properly speaking, should be credited to us, should stand against us before the just judge of all men, it is not credited to us. We are pardoned. And though we have no righteousness of our own to stand before the just judge of all the earth, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to our account. So that when we stand before God, we stand not with anything to plead for the satisfaction of his holy law or the satisfaction of our rebellion and transgression of his holy law. But we stand there with Christ and his doing and his dying. And Paul tells us that this declaration of righteousness, this declaration of pardon and righteousness is received by faith alone. It's not by any works that we have done that we have made ourselves right with God. It's not that we've cleaned ourselves up and made ourselves acceptable to God. But God, God who purposed to make his son the firstborn among many brethren, fulfilled that purpose by Christ dying, living and dying for his brethren. Obeying for his brethren. Making satisfaction for the sin of his brethren. So that we who should be condemned. Are not condemned. But justified. And this. This makes us. By grace, rightfully heirs to everlasting life. Each word of that phrase is important, isn't it? By grace. God does this. God justifies the ungodly. We don't justify ourselves. And he justifies the ungodly through faith in Jesus Christ that faith which is itself the gift of God, a faith which isn't a work, which doesn't bring anything with it, but simply looks to Jesus Christ, lays hold of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So that God now looks upon you, dear believer, as he looks upon his own son perfectly righteous perfectly righteous and this justification is the blessing given to all who simply look to Christ. Again, we've said it before, and it's worth saying again, to use Luther's analogy, that faith is an empty hand. It doesn't bring anything with it and demand righteousness of God, but it simply receives. Rests, looks to Christ as the entirety of our righteousness. Faith looks to Jesus Christ, who is made by God to us wisdom and Righteousness, But this gets us to the present. And those who were reading this letter from Paul are saying, yes, you've told us this. And you've even told us that the spirit now bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God and if children then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ but we're presently suffering but listen he says we are joint heirs with Christ if so be that we suffer with him that we may also may be also glorified with him verse 17 and here's the reality that this church which is called, this church which is justified, is also, fifthly and finally, glorified. Glorified. And Paul can speak of it here as a certain reality, a certain blessing. He speaks of it As something that's already been obtained. Them whom he foreordained, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. He can speak of it as a given. This glorification is a settled fact precisely because of Jesus Christ. Precisely because he is, in virtue of his death and resurrection, the firstborn among many brethren. And because he was foreordained to be the firstborn among many brethren, and because he has in fact become the firstborn among many brethren, God's purposes are a settled fact. such that we, though we still wait to be glorified, that is, still wait to be conformed perfectly and finally to the image of his Son, it is, we might say, a foregone conclusion. The church of Jesus Christ is a glorified church. Because of Christ, and the church of Jesus Christ is a glorified church, meaning that it will be perfectly conformed to the image of God's own son. Perfectly conformed, finally conformed, fully conformed to the image of God's son. Made like un. To the firstborn. Made like unto him who is the firstfruits. Made like unto Jesus Christ. Glorified by him. Glorified because of him. Glorified with him. Glorified like him. What God purposed from eternity, what has begun now in our calling and our justification is brought to completion, finality, in our glorification. And again, this means being made like to Christ in soul and in body. Made to participate in Christ, in soul and in body. The redemption of our bodies that Paul says that even creation groans for, that we groan for, The redemption of our bodies just is this glorification. Even as it also means the conformity of our minds, the conformity of our hearts, the conformity of our lives entirely to Jesus Christ. And this is begun in us here and now, The Spirit takes away that fleshly mind, and gives to it that spiritual mind. A mind that is subject to God, subject to the law of God, gives to us new desires new loves, if you will. But we'll give all of that fully and finally on the last day when we are made like Christ in soul and body. And because made like Christ in soul and body, we shall see Christ our Savior. And all of this is true of the whole company of Christ's church. There is no believer, no Christian who misses out. When I was a little kid, there was always a fear at a birthday party that you'd miss out on a piece of cake. They, they were cut different sizes. You'd watch them being cut and say, oh man, I hope I don't miss out. And in your youthful exuberance, you tried to be one of the first to grab a piece of cake. Despite the fact that your parents told you not to. So in your best of times, you waited. You waited and you hoped that you wouldn't miss out. But to put it really, really badly... No one invited to the party misses out on this cake. Those whom God foreordained, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. Believer, this is all true of you. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is true of all of you. And it's true. And because it's true, it is written for our comfort. Precisely as we are marked presently by infirmity. Marked presently by sufferings. Paul points us, yes, to the hardships of this present life. And he speaks of them even as he goes on in this chapter. He speaks of tribulation, anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. He speaks of death, life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth. In all creatures. And he assures us, he assures us that precisely because God purposed, and precisely because God fulfills that purpose in his Son, that none of that, none of the weakness or infirmity of body, None of the things that surround us in this world, both seen and unseen, none of it will change the reality of salvation that belongs and marks the church of his dear son. And if it could, it would mean the overthrow of God's love. But Nothing, he says. Nothing can overthrow his love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if we had any doubt about that, look to Christ. Look to the one that died, yea, indeed, that was raised from the dead, who is at God's right hand, who also makes intercession for us if we have any doubt about the immutable character of this golden and Catholic chain, we need only look to the love of God and need only look to Jesus Christ, the firstborn among many brethren. All of this then serves the church to remind her, to remind us that because of Christ, I am a lively member of this company of people and so shall remain forever. These words are written for your comfort, for your assurance amidst all of the turmoil of this world, all the temptation of sin, all of the temptation of the evil one, in the midst of all of it, it is written, Comfort you and remind you that you are a living member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of that serves a more ultimate purpose. Your salvation, in fact, serves a more ultimate purpose. Your glorification, even that full and final conformity to Christ serves a more ultimate purpose, namely the glory of God in his son, Jesus. Why did God predestine you to be conformed to the image of his son? Why did God then call you? Why did God justify you? Why did God glorify you? That his son might be glorified as the firstborn among many brethren. What is the purpose of the church then? Why do we exist? Why are we saved? For the glory of Christ. And so, presently, as we contemplate these realities, remember this God has made you what you are in the image of His Son, that you might glorify the Christ of the scriptures let's pray